0: Lord, you are truly a wonderful God. You are great, you are holy, you are faithful. Your love is beyond our understanding. Lord, we just praise you and worship and lift up and honor your name. Lord, we lift up your name every day, but Lord, especially this week as we look back at the cross of Calvary and your resurrection and Lord, just all that you endured out of love for us. We just thank you and praise you. We can't praise you enough. We ask as we go to your word that you would be our teacher tonight. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. That front row is getting farther and farther away. If I've got cooties, someone tell me or something, all right? All right, turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 12, continuing our verse by verse study through the Old Testament. I want to encourage you, I'm, I'm sure Bill announced it, I want to encourage you to come out Friday night for the passion. Invite somebody. Uh, Sunday morning, again, as I know was already mentioned, the baptism. If you haven't been baptized, you should be. We're not, baptism is not necessary for salvation, but it's something that God has commanded us to do. So we, again, it's, it's an act of obedience. It's an outward statement of an inward change. And so as He hung on a cross for us, we can go in some cold water for Him and let the whole world know we love Him. Amen? So I encourage you to do that if you haven't done that yet. And then uh, at 10 o'clock, we will be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4. So we'll be looking at the resurrection message at the sunrise service and 2 Timothy 4 at uh, the 10 o'clock service. So you can actually come to both. It's not going to be repeated, right? You're allowed to come to both. All right. All right. Well, let's uh, catch you guys up. Over the past several weeks, we've been looking at the transition from Samuel to Saul. You guys remember Samuel is the last of the judges in a sense. He's the last one of that era of over 400 years where there was this constant cycle of the children of Israel going into rebellion. Once in rebellion, God allowing them to be taken captive by some of the people in the land wherever they were. And they would be captured and then under bondage. And during that time they would then cry out to God. And then God would bring deliverance and they'd start walking with God again until the judge would die and then the thing would start all over again. And they did it seven different times. And Samuel was the last of these judges. Samuel had come to be a judge or a a prophet or a priest. A lot of ways he was all three. And God had used him in a mighty way, but God had to first prepare the heart of his mom. If you remember, her name was Hannah. Hannah was a woman who was unable to have children. Her husband, Elkanah, took another wife. And that woman began to have multiple children. Hannah became you know, just grieving in her heart, went before the Lord, prayed, and said, "Lord, if you'll give me a child, I'll dedicate his life to you." And that's the boy Samuel. She gave him to serve in the tabernacle starting at the age of three. And we know that what happened, sadly, was that because of the rebellion, even though Samuel was walking with God, the children of Israel were not. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. The uh, tabernacle itself had a corrupt had corrupt priests within there, Hophni and Phineas, who were later, later killed the sons of Eli, the ark was captured, it was taken to the Philistines. The Philistines then uh, got stricken with tumors, which another word for it was hemorrhoids, they didn't like that too much, so they gave the ark back. When the ark came back, the people, the first people to look at it, they they made the mistake of opening up the ark and looking straight into the ark without the mercy seat covering it, they were struck down dead. It was then moved to Beth Shemesh, where it still is to this point, when we come to this point, but what's happened is the people look around at the world around them and start to want what the world has, and this is a danger for Christians. This is a huge danger for Christians. If you hear anything else I say tonight, remember that we need to be seeking the Lord for direction, not the world. Amen. We don't need Dr. Phil or anybody else. Amen. Amen. We don't turn to the world, we don't seek ungodly counsel, we turn to the Lord, He's got all the answers, and we start turning to the world, or copying the world, or mimicking the world, we're going to fall into the same traps of the world, a world that is lost and in desperate need of a Savior. Well, that's what happens to the children of Israel. They already had a king reigning over them, and their king was who? God. Amen? God was their king. And sadly, they didn't think that was good enough. Even though God had brought them victory, even though God had delivered them repeatedly, they then looked at the world and they cried out for a king, a king like the world had. Now Samuel warned Israel that, well, if you get a king, it's not going to be good. Because he's going to bind you, enslave you, he's going to take your daughters and sons, he's going to take the best of your fields and vineyards, and in the end you're going to cry out for his removal. And they said, we don't care, give us a king anyway. Now this is so much like the world, I know I repeat this almost every week, but we need to hear it because God will warn us about sin's consequences, we'll know what they are and then we'll choose to do it anyway. Am I the only one that does that? You know that this this is sin. Don't you know when you're sinning every single time, what's the answer? We don't stumble into sin, we walk into it. And we run through eight stop signs usually to get there, right? God's going, don't do it, don't, 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 wave escape, here's another one, another one, another one, right, we just keep going. And this is what's happening with the children of Israel. They've been warned. If you have a king, it's not going to be pretty to say, give us one anyway. We don't care. We want what we want. We want to be like the world. And so then God does something incredible to me. He gives them the ultimate king from their perspective. He says, okay, you want a fleshly king? I'll give you the most fleshly king I can find. Here here you go. He's going to be taller than anyone else. And it says he was the best looking person. Most handsome person on the planet. So better looking than all the women, too. So he was a good-looking, Rico Suave kind of guy, right? He was yoked, he was big, he was strong, he was charismatic. And then, to add to it, to make sure they didn't think that they you know, didn't get the best option, God also pours out His Holy Spirit upon this guy. Amazing. Pours out His Spirit upon him, has Samuel walking with him, and then surrounds him with valiant, godly men who feared the Lord. This guy had every opportunity in the world to succeed. But God sees the future. And God knew that if they made this man king, it would not work out. And sure enough, it's not going to. But remember that he started out pretty well. If you were here last week, he was a a man who now had been raised up to king. He started off seemingly humble, but really we're going to find out it wasn't really humility as much as it was fear. But what happens then is when he is finally raised up to be king, the first attack comes from the Ammonites against the people of Jabesh Gilead. If you were here last week, you remember that story. Well, the people of Jabesh-Gilead, they got attacked for one main reason. Why? Because they were on the outskirts. If you remember, they were part of the two and a half tribes that never entered into the land of promise. It's like the Christian who's satisfied with the lukewarm walk, you know, the Jordan being a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, says, you know, I'll just settle just out here. It's greener out here. There's less enemies out here. It'll be easier for me than being sold out for God. I won't have to give up as much. I can just stop a little short of God's highest. But... Notice what happens. While there were giants in front of them that God helped them defeat, those who stayed outside of the land got attacked from behind. Guys, when we don't press on, when we press on with the kingdom of God, we will suffer persecution. But I would much rather be persecuted for walking with God than falling into a trap for being outside of His will. Amen? Amen? So here we have the people of Jabesh Gilead. They were also the people that did not come and fight with the Benjamites when they were defending these rapists, if you remember that story. And so they were kind of on the outs with Israel. And so the Ammonites knew that, so they came to attack them, thinking, hey, we'll attack them, nobody will help them, they're on the outskirts. So if you'll remember, what happened was, they came and said, you know, well, we want to make peace with you. The people of Jabesh Gilead came to the Ammonites and said, you know, you're going to kill us, so we want to make peace with you. And he said, well, we will, we're going to poke out all of your right eyes. That doesn't sound like peace to me. So we're going to poke at all of your right eyes. Now that would render them not only blind in one eye, not only humiliated, but it would keep them from ever fighting again. Because in those days they held the shield in their left hand, it covered their left eye, they were to see with their right eye, they were blind in their right eye, they would never be able to fight again. Well, the people of Jabesh Gilead said to the Ammonites, well, give us a week to see if we can get someone to come help us fight you. Now I find that amazing. Can we try to find some people to help us fight you? Oh yeah, go ahead, take a week. I just don't see that happening. But they did. They said, go ahead, take a week. Because they figured no one's going to help these guys. They're in the outs with Israel. Well, the word comes to, to King Saul. And when Saul hears this, it says that there's anger stirred up within him. And the Holy Spirit falls upon him. And with the Holy Spirit upon him, he hears the cry of the people. The prophet of God, Samuel, is beside him. He seeks his counsel. He responds to the spirits prompting with action, and he raises up a mighty army. If you remember how he did it, he cut an ox into a bunch of pieces. He sent it out to all the tribes, and he said, if you don't show up to fight, we're going to come and cut up all your oxen just like this one. So 330,000 guys showed up. I guess that's a way to raise up an army, Threatened to kill all their livestock. And so what happened was the ox thing worked, and all these people showed up. And then God gave him wisdom, and he sent them in, in three different companies. They marched all night. They showed up upon the Ammonites early in the morning when they were not ready, and they slaughtered them all. It says there's not, it's not two men standing together anymore. So Jabesh Gilead was rescued, and Saul, this king that they had cried out for, actually did everything they had hoped he would do. He won the great victory. And if you'll remember, at the end of the chapter from last week, he actually set up an altar and worship the Lord and all the people rejoiced and he took none of the credit for himself. So you look at this guy and you think, wow, this guy has got it. And again, the people at this point were no doubt pretty excited about the way things were working out. Well, God told us we shouldn't have him. Samuel told us we shouldn't have him. We wanted him anyway. And look how good it's working out for us. You know, the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. And sometimes we will rebel against God, and maybe we'll get involved in a relationship with an unbeliever. And maybe for the first month, it seems to be going really well. Or maybe we'll get unequally yoked in a job situation, or we'll get involved in something we shouldn't be doing. Or maybe we'll cheat on our taxes, or we'll start drinking again, or whatever it is. And maybe for a little while, that sin has some pleasure. But you know what? In the end, unrepented sin leads to death. And sin has consequences. And so, for a moment, it looks like he's the guy. Man, this is everything we could have ever wanted and more. And that brings us to chapter 12. Now, I titled the message tonight, It's Not Too Late to Get Right with God. Amen. It's not too late to get right. I was going to say it's never too late to get right with God, but that's not true. Because at some point, it will be too late to get right with God. Amen? Amen. Now, as long as we're breathing in and out, it's never too late. But once we stop breathing in and out, it will be too late. There is no purgatory. <laughs> You know, you don't have to come and give the pastors money to pray your family out of purgatory, all right? Amen? Amen. There is no purgatory. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, and aren't you glad? All right? Now, so it is not too late to get right with God. A call to stop trusting in the world and put your faith in God. I've got six points tonight. Number one, personal integrity gives us an opportunity to share truth with others. We're going to see in Samuel, because he's a man of God who stands for God, it gives him an opportunity to proclaim God. And you and I, when we stand for God, it gives us an opportunity to share our faith. But you know what? There's no one more ineffective in sharing the gospel than a hypocrite. Is that true or not? You can't go drinking with your buddies and be cussing on the job site and be bad mouthing your boss and saying bad things about your wife and then share the love of God with somebody. Not real effective you know what? When we stand for God and we're walking with God and we're walking in integrity and we're men and women of character, it gives us an opportunity to share with others. Number two, we need to know that God's Word serves to remind us of His faithfulness. Knowing the Word of God reminds us of how faithful God is. Amen? And the children of Israel needed to hear it. And they're going to know because of the faithfulness of God that it's not too late. It's not too late to get right with God. Number three, We're not to follow the world's example. It leads to rebellion against God. We cannot... The Bible says we're to be enemies of the world. Number four, responding to the voice of the Lord. How do we... How can we respond to God? How can we get right with God? We need to respond to His voice. Number five, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, if we want to get right with God, the fear of God is where it starts. And then lastly, recognizing our sin. The first step to repentance is a realization that we're sinners. We'll never see our need for a Savior until we see that we are sinners. And these are the things we're going to see in the children of Israel as we look at tonight's text. Let's begin in verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 12. It's not too late to get right with God. A call to stop trusting in the world and to put their faith or your faith in God. So let's begin in verse 1. Looking at personal integrity. It gives us an opportunity to share our faith with others. Now Samuel said... To all of Israel. Now, this is after the victory over the Ammonites. No doubt they're feeling really good about their new king. Samuel and his farewell, this is his final public address before the children of Israel. He's basically turning the leadership over to King Saul. And in this coronation speech for Saul, he's going to communicate some things to the children of Israel. He's going to deliver a clear call to repentance even though they think everything is better than it's ever been. We've just won a victory. We've finally got a king. We've got it all going on. I just got a promotion at work. I just bought a new house. My wife's having a baby. Boy, things are wonderful. And you know what? Those things are wonderful and can be. But you know what? If you don't know Jesus Christ, your life is still a mess. You need Jesus. And so the point here is, look, Israel thinks, hey, we're doing really well. And here comes the prophet, Samuel, who's going to let them know, no, you're not doing really well. You think you are, but the truth is you're in rebellion against God. In this short speech, in this chapter, he's going to say the word Lord over 30 times because he wants to point the children of Israel back to the Lord, to return to him and the promise that he had given them. So Samuel said to all of Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me and have made a king over you. Samuel is reminding them that even as they celebrate their victory and exalt their king, Saul, as as their king was not God's plan, but their plan. He's reminding them, you're the one that asked for him." Let me remind you, you wanted a king, I gave you a king because you wanted a king. And at this point, they're probably thinking, yeah, that's true. You know, this is a picture to me of God's permissive will. I believe God has a perfect will for our lives, and He has a permissive will. God will never force His highest on anybody. Now, is God in control? What's the answer? Is He sovereign? Absolutely. But His sovereignty does not preclude or take away our free will. We can choose, and God can still be in control. God still knows what choice we are going to make. Now, the point I'm making is that it's God's highest And marriage is an easy thing to pick for us to wait for the person God has for us. But I do believe we can go outside of God's will and just go marry an unbeliever if we want to. Now, from that point forward, God's will is that we stay in that marriage. Amen? But we can miss out on God's highest going outside of God's will. This is what Israel has done. They've raised up a king. Everything seems to be going pretty well for them at this point. But now he's going to exhort them that in the midst of their victory, they were not to forget the Lord. There's a great temptation in times of great victory or success to start to think that we've arrived. You know, we want to make, have you heard me say this many times, we want to make enough money to not be desperate for God anymore. We i have enough money in the bank and enough, you know, enough things taken care of that we don't have to be desperate anymore. And I tell you, it, a, a good prayer to pray is, Lord, don't give me one more dollar, then we'll keep me desperate. Amen. You know, just keep me desperate, Lord. Keep me crying out to you, trusting in you. Don't put your faith in your bank account or the stock market or your job or even your health. That's all in God's hands, isn't it? Yeah. So it says that you know, we can make this mistake, just like they did, of equating worldly success with right standing before God. Look, we just won the battle. God must be blessing this. You know, we just went tore those guys up. We won our first battle. We went out there. Our king went in front of us. He had a great plan. He was able to raise up an army. He's a charismatic guy. He's really good looking. We finally have somebody we can look at. Like every other country has someone to look at. And we must not make the mistake, again, of equating worldly success with standing, right standing before God. Truth is that even though they had experienced victory, they were in rebellion against God. Look at verse 2. And now, here is the king walking before you and I am old and gray-headed I like this now imagine this picture Saul is the biggest tallest best looking probably the most yoked guy in Israel and here stands next to him this old gray-haired man Saul towering over him Samuel down below him I can just imagine their postures Samuel you know Saul's standing there you know I got some armor on, just being the king, right? And standing next to him is, you know, Samuel in his robe and his gray hair and maybe hunched over a little bit. You know what, though? Man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart and there's no contest as which one of these guys is God's man. It's not the man who's big and strong and yoked. That's the world's man. Samuel, the man who prays, the man who seeks the Lord, the man who walks with God, the man who obeys the things of God, that's God's man. And you know, we need to make sure that we don't judge things from the outward appearance. We need to look for the one who's in love with Jesus. The one who has a heart and a passion for God. This stark contrast of a victorious warrior and this smaller man, but again, man looks on the outward appearance. We must not be fooled by outward charisma, but look for inward character. Look at verse 3. Here, No, the rest of the verse. My sons are with you, I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. My sons are with you. You can just read over that and think nothing of it, but remember that Saul's sons were next in line, in a sense, to be priests. But remember what happened? They were just as corrupt as Hophni and Phinehas. And if you remember what happened, is that they were ripping people off who came in. And they were taking bribes to to judge things a, a certain way. And they had become really corrupt young men. Back in 1 Samuel 8, it said that he had to turn aside, they were turning aside a dishonest gain, they were taking bribes, they were perverting justice. Can you imagine how the heart of their father must have been torn up? But what happens is, When he says, my sons are with you, that means they're no longer in a position of authority anymore. As he's addressing the crowd, his sons have been removed from their position of leadership and are now in a position of being with the rest of the people because they had disqualified themselves from God's calling upon their lives. Boy, I can think of few things sadder than that. Where God has a calling upon your life, but you allow your own lust and your sinful desires and your pride and your your greed to get in the way and render you ineffective so you have no impact on eternity. And that's what happened to these two young men. But I find the interesting contrast that it says, my sons are with you, but look what it says. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. My sons, his sons were corrupt, but Samuel was not. And when you look at that, that, you know what this tells me? That... Our kids do not have to rebel. You know, some people think, well, all Christian kids walk away from God for a while. Well, many do, but they don't have to. Amen? Amen? They don't have to. Well, they're just so and so mild. Well, they're just out there, you know, they're just going through a phase. My kids go through a phase that comes with a swat. Amen? Amen? I mean, the point is that we should not expect and accept rebellion as being acceptable. Now, again, we cannot force our children to love God. They have to make their own choice to walk with the Lord. And here's Samuel, the most godly man on the planet, and his kids are not walking with God, so we need to make sure that we do not, you know, point, point to the parents as being the reason for their children not walking with God, because a very godly mom and dad can have kids who are in rebellion. But what I want to say at the same time is rebellion should not be acceptable. We should not make excuses for our kids' rebellion. Absolutely not. Kids can walk with God their whole life. Never smoke, never drink, never party, never... Now, here's the good news. Our kids can be in full rebellion and God will receive them back. Amen? Amen. He's a faithful God. But sometimes I think we make the mistake, especially with PKs, preacher's kids, right? You ever heard that before? Preacher's kids, oh, they're the worst, right? Well, I hope not because I got four of them and I am one, Right? I'm a preacher's kid myself, and I would hope not. But the truth is that I think it's important that we have expectations that our kids walk in holiness before God. And as well, long as they're in my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. And you know what? I need to be the parent. I need to be the father. I need to say, you know what? You're not going to do that as long as you live here. And you know When they get old enough, if they want to continue in rebellion, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, we can pack up your stuff and put it on the porch. Amen? Amen. Got to love them enough to do that. And so, here we see, can you imagine Samuel's heart? He walked with God all the days of his life. Since three years old, he'd been walking with the Lord. Not sinless, but walking with the Lord. And here are his own children who had turned away from God. And again, I want to encourage us to raise our kids to love and serve and honor the Lord. And again, if they're in rebellion, pray for them. If they're not in rebellion, pray for them. If they're in rebellion, discipline them. If they're not in rebellion, discipline them. You know, let's raise up godly kids. Raise them up in the way that they should go so that the, when they're old, they will not depart from it. While God can redeem those with the most radical testimonies, it's not required for salvation. I hope none of my kids has a radical testimony. You know, we, we think that's really cool. Man, what a radical testimony. And again, it is cool. But I just assume my kids just walk with God. How about you? Amen? Amen. No radical testimonies necessary. Here's a radical testimony. got saved when I was four and a half, been walking with God ever since. I've had bumps in the road, but I've never turned my back on God and never got caught up in the things of the world. And I'm just pursuing Him with my whole heart. That's okay. That's a good testimony. I like that one. Amen? Amen. And too often we think, oh man, you've got to get that guy up there that shot 47 people and that, you know, <laughs> used to worship the devil. That's a really good... And again, that's great. Praise God. He can do that, can't he? He can deliver those people. But we don't need to, you know... I've had people say that to me. Well, I don't have very good testimony. I'm like, dude, those are the best testimonies. Well, you don't have a whole lot of stuff you've got to write down. Just, you know, God did, God did a work in my life. Amen? Verse 3. So he says, I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am. Now, I love this because this, these exact words in the original language are a couple other places in this book, in this letter. And you know where it is? It's when he's a young man and the Lord calls for him. And when the Lord calls for Samuel, he first gets up thinking it's Eli. And he keeps going to Eli, and Eli says, next time, just tell him, here I am, Lord. And it's the exact same word right here, here I am. I almost wonder if this is like his tagline. You know, God calls me, here I am. Yes, Lord, right, your servant hears. And so here he is standing before the people. He's going to be handing off the ministry to Saul, who's the king that they've cried out for. And he says, here I am. Now look what he says. Witness against me before the Lord and before His anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. You know what he says? He stands up in front of the entire crowd. And I don't know how many people would be bold enough to do this. I don't think I'd want to do it. Can you imagine getting in front of everybody and saying, Okay, if I've ever done anybody in this room, and not in this room, in this country, Israel, if I've done anybody here wrong ever, now remember, he's probably in his 80s. He's been serving in the tabernacle since he was three years old. He's been in a position of ministry, a position of, you know, making the sacrifices, all the things that he did for 80 years. And he stands up in front of all of them and said, If I've ever wronged any of you, testify of it. And if I don't know that I did it, I will restore to you anything that that you have lost. What a powerful testimony. That's incredible. Now, he stands up before them. Now, remember that Hophni and Phinehas had been thieves in the tabernacle. His own sons had been thieves in the tabernacle. He is standing up and bringing integrity back to what was taking place in the tabernacle. And also, as he was about to hand this off to Saul, he was letting them all know, I have stood faithfully before God and let God be the one who is glorified. Again, Samuel is a man of godly character and integrity, someone who's willing to open up his life to criticism. How do we respond to criticism? God God keeps teaching me about that. I get emails almost every week. And it's God's way of reminding me. You are a humble servant and don't forget it. And they come in droves. People get mad at me when I say amen. I get them all the time. All the time, especially from the radio. Man, you're not supposed to say that? And One guy just emailed me yesterday and it said, you know, when you say amen, you're turning off the postmodern generation who doesn't relate to that word. If I hear that word one more time, postmodern, I'm going to throw up. The gospel's the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. Why are we changing the, we've got to change the message for the people? I want to write them back, and I just, I haven't written him back yet because I want to be kind. And I want to write them back and say, you know how that, you know how Calvary Chapel movement started? It started in the late 60s with something called the Jesus movement, where a bald guy in a suit and tie got up and preached the gospel, and all, tens of thousands of hippies got saved. And he didn't wear tie-dye, and he didn't water down the message, and he didn't stop saying Christ, and he didn't take the cross out of the message. He just preached <laughs> it with great boldness. Amen. And that's what we need, isn't it? Amen. Instead of this, hey, you know, man, just relate more to the people. I'll relate. We're sinners in need of a Savior. How relatable is that? Amen? That's who we are, and we need Jesus. Amen? Amen. I know, that, that, was, that was a Pastor Dave moment. Forgive me, all right? So then it says in verse 4, And they said, You have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. Wow. You know what, Samuel? You stand before us without accusation. Again, not sinless, but he had never cheated anybody. He had never taken a bribe. He had never done anything for his own benefit in the entire time he was in ministry. What an example for all of us. Even more impressive than his willingness to be examined was the people's response. Samuel is finishing strong. Samuel is going to run through that tape when it's time for him to go to be with the the Lord. He's finishing strong, leaving no matter undone. Verse 5. Then he said to them, Now Samuel's life was not only an example of how a leader chosen by God should act, but his past faithfulness was giving him an audience to speak truth to these people. Because he had been a man of great integrity, he could speak with authority and people would listen. You know, praise God for guys like Billy Graham. Been in ministry, I don't know how many years, and you know what, without, and again, not, he's a sinner saved by grace just like the rest of us, but you know what, He was without accusation. And you know why he is? He takes safeguards. He never stays in a hotel room by himself. If he's in a hotel room, he has another guy from the thing sleeping on a bed next to him so that he's above reproach and nobody can ever accuse him of anything. He takes safeguards. He doesn't ever pray with a woman alone in a room by themselves. He doesn't go out to lunch with a woman by... I mean, he says, I'm going to make this standard because I do not want my name and, the, and my name being harmed harm the name of Christ. This was the kind of man Samuel was. When Billy Graham speaks now, there's people, even the most ungodly people seem to... Open up their arms for him to listen. Because he has integrity. And Samuel is just such a man. About the same age as Billy Graham. At the end of his life, and he's going to stand up, and he's going to speak with great boldness to these guys. And because he's been a man of integrity, they're going to receive what he says. Guys, gals, we need to be the kind of people at work that have such great character and integrity that when we open our mouth, people want to hear what we have to say. Amen? May we live it. And not just talk about it. And so it says, Then Samuel said, Then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and has anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. Israel was testifying before God that he had done nothing wrong to them. They couldn't come back later and blame him. They couldn't come back later and say that he had done something wrong. He's standing before them and before God, getting them to testify that indeed he had been a man of integrity. Samuel had been a faithful priest and prophet, yet they cried out for a king anyway. When he says, you know, the Lord's going to testify against you, why is that? Because he had been a faithful prophet, and God had been a faithful king, and in the midst of that, they cried out for a king anyway. They had a godly man dwelling with them, and they had an awesome God watching over them, and they cried out for a king anyway. And that's gonna, God's going to be testifying against them as we continue on through the text. Samuel's personal integrity is going to give him an opportunity to share the truth with others. And so, too, our actions give weight to our word. So 1 Samuel 12, it is not right, it's not too late to get right with God. First point, knowing God, again, having integrity, personal integrity, gives us an opportunity to share with others. Point number two, knowing God's word serves to remind us of his faithfulness. Look at verse 6. Now Samuel has a chance to talk to the people. What's he going to talk to them about? These guys have turned away to a false king. He's about to coronate, you know, the coronation of Saul as king. And he's turning to this crowd of people. They've agreed that he's a man of integrity, which means they're going to hear the words he has to say. And now he gets to speak to them. And what is he going to tell them? Well, let's take a look. It says there, Then Samuel said to the people. Again, with this credibility, he's got an opportunity to open his mouth and proclaim truth to them. And the emphasis of Samuel's words is going to be from the time of Moses all the way until his own day, and he's going to speak about the grace and the faithfulness of Almighty God. He's going to talk to them about the grace of God and the faithfulness of God. And the reason he's going to do that is they need his grace because right now they're in rebellion. And to let them know, he's going to prepare them. That it's not too late to get right with God. You guys are in rebellion, it's not too late. But let me tell you, let me give you a backdrop of what you've done. Let me illuminate the truth to you so you'll realize that you've sinned. Look at verse 6. It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron, and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Who is it that called Moses and Aaron? It was God. They didn't vote. Amen? They didn't cry out for a king. What happened was God raised up Moses and Aaron. And then it says he didn't only raise up these men, but then it was God who used these men to deliver them out of bondage. So while Moses was used, God gets all the glory. Amen? Amen. Moses was a stutterer who said, I can't do it, remember? Backside of the wilderness for 40 years. Remember Moses' life, 120 years. 40 years thinking he was somebody when he was the prince. 40 years becoming a nobody, and in the last 40 years proving that God can use anybody. Amen? That was the man that Moses was. But the point is, he's letting them know God is the one who raised him up. They didn't cry out for a king, they let God be the one to appoint him. And sadly, that's not what was happening with Israel. Verse 7 Now therefore, stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and your fathers. That word stand still there carries the idea of stand up, like courts in session. Pay attention. Courts in session. And the word that I may reason, that word reason there, is to decide a case in litigation. So basically, he's bringing a case against them. And he's having them stand up and stand still. And what is it he's going to speak to them about? It's not a history lesson, although it is partially. What it really is a lesson in the righteous acts of the Lord. That's what he says. I'm going to give you a lesson in the righteous acts of the Lord. I want you to hear from Moses' day until now, the righteous acts of the Lord. So he gets to talk to people. What does he talk about? The righteous acts of the Lord. He talks about the greatness of God and the God that they can know and serve and walk with. And then it says, and I want to say this too, that what I love about this is that he's doing this while it will seem to bring you know, to reveal to them their sin. His real heart is to reveal to them their need for redemption. Their need to get right with God. He's not pointing at them to drag them down as much as He's pointing at them so that they will look up. And they will see their need to get right with God. God knows our motivation, guys. When we're witnessing to somebody, we're sharing our faith, our ultimate desire ought to be that they will see Jesus. Amen? Amen. Not that we can win an argument. We don't want to win arguments. We want to lead people to Christ. Look at verse 8. When Jacob had gone into Egypt, and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt, and made them dwell in this place. Now, why did they end up in Egypt? Because they rebelled against God, right? Then they're in Egypt, how long? 400 years. took 400 years before they cried out to God. Talk about a a stubborn and stiff-necked people. 400 years. Well, when they finally did cry out to the Lord, he raised up Moses, and God sent in a deliverer who brought him out. So they cried out to God. God, in his righteous act, delivered them out of the bondage they had deserved to be in. That's a picture of God, picture of his grace. Verse 9, and when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera commander of the army of Hazor into the hand of the Philistines and into the hands of the king of Moab and they fought against them. Now, God restored them. God brought them out of bondage. They forgot the Lord. They went back to worshipping idols again and then God allowed them to be captured yet again. Now, this is God's grace. We need to understand something. That it is God's divine grace and God's plan both in His redemption, removing us From bondage and allowing us to go into bondage sometimes. You understand that God's divine plan is the end result. And whatever it takes to get us there, it's worth it. And so He'll allow us in the midst of our sin to go through difficulty again that we might cry out to Him. You've heard of Crisis Christianity, right? Where people only, you know, go to God when the things are real tough. And they say, Man, things have been really tough lately. I say, Well, God just wants to spend more time with you, right? And so, divine discipline is just as righteous as an act of divine deliverance. Need to know that God is in control all the time. Verse 10. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, because we have forsaken the Lord, and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths. But now deliver us from the hand of our enemies, and we will serve you. So... They get put back in bondage. Eventually, after being in bondage for a while, they cry out to the Lord. When they cry out to the Lord, He is faithful to come and deliver them. Guys, we cry out to God. He is faithful and just to forgive us. Amen? He's right there. He so desires to forgive you. He loves you so much. Then look what happens. And these are several different instances. The Lord sent Jerubal, Badan, Jephthah, and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you dwelt in safety. Now, in Judges 7, there are seven cycles, like I was telling you, over a 400-year period of time. Jerubbaal is another name for Gideon. So that was Gideon. Bedan is Barak. Okay, And each of these different deliverers, God raised them up in His appropriate time to deliver them out of bondage so they could be restored back into fellowship with the Lord. But sadly, they would each time rebel yet again. Constant compromise of following the world's example would lead them back into bondage. We need to make sure that we not be so caught up with what's going on in the world. I think it's good if we're ignorant about some of the stuff going on in the world. Sometimes people think, we need to know everything. You know, I just assume not know some of that stuff. Amen? I just assume my kids be really ignorant about a lot of that stuff. Point number three. We're not to follow the world's example because it leads to rebellion against God. Look at verse 12. And when you saw Nahash, king of the Ammonites, come against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now this is what had just happened in the previous chapter. The Ammonites were mounting up. Nahash was their king and they said, Well, they got a king. We need a king. And they said, Give us a king. They were warned not to have one and they said, Give us a king anyway. We want one anyway. And so he's reminding them that they had, instead of crying out to the Lord, what examples had he just given them from history? They cried out to the Lord, he delivered. 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 You cried out for a king. You did not cry out to the Lord. You cried out for a man. It's a huge mistake to cry out for a man. You need to cry out for the Lord. Why did they do it? Because they wanted to be like the world around them. They were following the example of the world around them. And I know it's hard for us not to be touched by the world, but again, we're to be in the world but not of it. And when the Lord your God was your king, Samuel reminded them yet again that they had turned their back on God when they chose Saul. Guys, we can even miss out on what is best, pursuing that which is good. Saul was not good, but sometimes we can be pursuing something that is not bad from the world's perspective. But you know what? When we put it in front of God, it is bad. Amen. Whatever it is. Amen. And we need to make sure God is the priority. Verse 14. Now therefore, here is the king of you have chosen, whom you have desired, and take note, the Lord has set a king over you. So God gave them what they wanted. But remember, here's what they wanted. Their prayers were, my will be done. When our prayers need to be, thy will be done. We pray and, we're not to pray and tell God anything. Amen? Amen? Nothing gets me, I just go sideways when I hear people telling God what to do. Lord, I command that you, well, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think he needs your help, amen? I'm glad he's not listening to that stuff. Can you imagine some of the awkward stuff that would happen if people, and I just demand, in the name, of, you know, stop. And when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're saying that Jesus agree, would be in agreement with what we're praying, amen? Amen? In accordance with the name of Jesus, we pray, right? And so Jesus does not want you to have a Cadillac necessarily, right? We're not crying out for that. What we're crying out for is the lost. Does he agree with that? Yeah. To be more broken, to be conformed to the image of our Savior. Yes. All day long, pray that in Jesus' name. You asked for a king, you've been given one. You turned your back on God, you rejected his prophet, you rejected him as king, and you're deserving of swift and divine judgment. Yet God is going to show some incredible grace. Yet again. Because look at the next point here. It is not too late to get right with God. How do we do that? By responding to the voice of the Lord. Look at verse 14. Now remember, they're in total rebellion. They've got the king they wanted. They disregarded God. They've made him not king anymore. They rejected the prophet that God had for them. They've got this ungodly king reigning over them. And I should say this, at this point, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. God has equipped him to be a godly king. But he's not going to be one for long. But it's still not God's will for them to have this guy. And then look what it says. If you fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. Wow. You know what he says? All the messes you've made, all the garbage you did, all the things I just revealed to you and talking to you about the past, all that garbage you've done, all the mistakes you've made, you know what? If from this point forward you will obey God, he will bless you. That's grace, isn't it? Every bad thing you've ever done, if from this point forward you obey God, he will bless you. You know what, for us, if we will give our life to God, He will wipe out everything that ever happened before. He will separate our sin as far as the east is from the west. He will bring it to remembrance no more. Praise God for His grace. And so we see here, by responding to the voice of the Lord, if you fear, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And the word fear there is fear. Too often we go, well, no, that just means awe and reverence. No, we need to have a godly fear. Godly fear is good. We need to fear God more on this planet, don't we? Amen. Man, there's not enough fear of God. God is mocked. God is taunted. God's name is drugged through the mud. There's no fear of God. But you know what? There needs, we can have fear of God in our lives. Amen? Can't make the, Lord, the world fear God, but we can live a life in the fear of God in front of them and have them see what a, God, a life that fears God looks like. He says, obey his voice. Guys, it's not enough to be saved, but we're to walk in obedience before God. The Bible says, be holy, for I am holy. Pastor Dave, are you preaching works-based salvation? Absolutely not. You've heard me say it? I'll say it again. It's not faith or works or faith plus works. It's faith that works. Amen? And when you're walking with the Lord, we should be different. We should be grieved by sin. We should desire to walk in the center of His will. We should not make excuses for ungodly behavior in our life. We should be grieved by it and want to walk away from it. Amen? And the point that he's making here is, if you fear the Lord... If you'll obey His voice, then God will bless you. Now, we should not fear the Lord and obey Him just so He will bless us, but know that walking in obedience to Him will result in God doing great things in and through us. Because those are the people He wants to use. Amen? Now, it may not be physical stuff, but it'll be eternal stuff. Verse 15. However... However, okay, here's the flip side. If you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Okay, here's your choice, Israel. You've totally blown it up to this point. You cried out for a king that you never should have had. I've poured out my spirit upon him anyway. I've given you victory against the Ammonites. If from this point forward you obey, I will bless you. But if you don't, righteous judgment will follow. It's up to you. Israel, it's in your hand you know, for us, choose today whom you're going to serve. Amen? Serve and honor and follow the Lord. Guys, we make mistakes just like the children of Israel. We cry out for kings. We cry out for things in this world. God gives us direction. We go in the exact opposite way. But you know what's so great about our God? No matter how far away from God you may have drifted, you turn to Him and He will restore you unto Himself right now. You can take a million steps away. It's only one step back. Amen? And what he's telling the children of Israel, you've walked away, but you can come back. And you can come back right now. You need to heed the voice of the Lord. You know what? He'll restore our mistakes. He'll restore our sin. He'll bring us into a right relationship with him right now, even tonight. It's not too late to get right with God. Point number five. fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Look what it says in verse 16. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. So he's getting their attention. Thus far they had heard the word, and yet without any repentance. Did we see any repentance yet? He told them, walk with God. Here's what you need to do. Here's what they did in the past. They cried out to God. You've cried out for a king. We have seen no response yet. We haven't seen him say, oh, whoops, we blew it. We should have cried out to the Lord, not for a king. They haven't done that yet. So God is going to take it up a notch. Now watch what he does to get their attention. So it says in verse 17, Is today not the wheat harvest? Samuel speaking, says, I will call to the Lord, I will pray, and He will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking a king for yourselves. Now, the word of God should have been enough, but because the word of God was not enough, this is the middle of the harvest, which is the dry season. There's no rain. So during the dry season, there's no rain. He says, in the midst of the dry season, I'm going to pray, and God's going to bring thunder and rain. And when he does, you need to recognize that he's bringing it because you were wicked and asking for a king. So he's letting them know this is God's righteous, divine judgment. We don't see it in the text, but I believe that the crops were wiped out. Because when heavy rains come at harvest time, that's not good. It wipes out the crops. So God was bringing judgment upon them for turning their backs on him and toward the world. Look at verse 18. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. You know, when you walk with God and you're on fire for God, there are some people that just won't even want to be around you. Amen. Samuel became the kind of man that people didn't want anything to do with. It. Dude, that guy praising like thunder comes down. I'm staying clear of that guy, right? And here's the point, they began, they feared the Lord sadly, not because of the word of God, but because they saw a miraculous sign. The Bible, Jesus would later say, a perverse and wicked generation seeks after a sign. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by, it's the word of God that should transform our lives. Now, does God still do miracles? Yes. Can we pray for them? Yes. But our faith should not be based on the miraculous, our faith should be based on the word of God. Because you know what? Satan can do the miraculous. He can. He's an imitator of all things supernatural. When Moses went in before the Pharaoh and threw down his rod, remember, the, Pharaoh, you know, the priest of their false gods came in and they imitated the same. Again, the enemy can imitate the truth. That's why it's not the miraculous works alone. It must be backed up with the truth of the Word of God. And We must always compare it to what the Word of God says. The result was good, but it shows the weakness and the carnality of their hearts that they didn't know how powerful God was until He thundered and rained on them. Pray, God help us not to have to wait till we get thundered and rained on to look up. Amen? Amen. Lord, I don't want to ha- you know, don't have to be in a coma in a hospital to look up. I don't want to have to have my house burned to the ground. I don't want to have to be diagnosed with cancer. Lord, I don't want to have to go through the most horrific physical things to find. Let me let's look up when everything's great. No matter what's going on, looking up. Amen? Not based on my physical circumstances. So they're to fear the Lord and respond to His still small voice and not seek after a sign. And may we not be seeking after a sign but pursuing our Savior. Last point. It is not too late to get right with God. Recognizing our sin, the first step to repentance, to getting right with God. Look at verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel... Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. Now this tells me this was more than a thunderstorm. Amen? This got their attention. But this almost sounds to me like their motivation isn't exactly right. You know, they don't say pray to the Lord that we might get right with Him. Pray to the Lord that we might stand holy before Him. Pray to the Lord that we might make Him king again. Pray to the Lord that we might not die. Now again, sometimes people's motivation isn't right. But I pray that people would know that we pray. And you know, sometimes the people that mock you are the same people that when they're going through a difficult time and have nowhere else to look will come to your desk or come to your, you know, come to you on the job site or knock on your door and ask you to pray. Because they know that you do. You know what? Samuel had just prayed and it had thunderstorm and rain, right? So they knew he prayed. And they knew God heard his prayer. So what did they do? Dude, pray. Please, pray for us that we might not die. Look what it says. Now this part is good. For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. Though they had been warned repeatedly, they didn't realize their sin until it rained and thundered on them. And often, we're happy with our choices until the divine judgment comes. The sin stuck with the king and the consequences were to come. Because see... They chose a king and God could still forgive us but the consequences still remain. Guys, we can go out and sin and God will forgive us and sometimes we sin knowing God will forgive us. Anybody else ever done that? If your are hands up, up, you're lying and you're sinning again, right? <laughs> Isn't that true? You, you, some, you sin knowing God will forgive you, don't you? You're cheap in His grace. But understand this, God will forgive us but the consequences will remain. If you go out and willfully disobey God, you know what? You're going to have... Whatever the, You can lose your marriage, you can lose your job, you can lose your family, your health could deteriorate. All those things can still happen, even though God is faithful to forgive us. But remember this, repentance means to turn. It doesn't mean to go out and sin, and then ask God to forgive you at 5 o'clock, and start sinning the next day, and sin all day again, and then ask God to forgive you over your Wheaties, and you know just keep doing that. That's not repentance. Repentance is a turn around. And so we see here, they say, hey, we've done evil in asking for a king. What will it take for us to fear the Lord? Lord, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Verse 20. Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. Before he told them to fear. Now he says, Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. He's telling them. Here's the answer. If you want to get right with God, obey Him. You want to get right with God? Obey Him. And you've got to remember, this is not, there's no cross of Calvary yet, Right? This is the Old Testament. And he's telling him, obey. You want to align yourself with God? Obey Him. Heed His word. Walk in the center of it. Guys, because our sin has been washed away, these words still apply to us. Obey. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. God's not looking for religion but a relationship with you. And if you have a relationship with Him, you'll obey Him. Guys, it's not a get just a get out of hell free card, but a heart of love to serve and worship God completely, to walk in holiness before Him. And he says, you've done all this wickedness, don't turn aside, just follow the Lord. Verse 21, and do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. Guys, I get in trouble every time I say this, so I get enough emails here, what's a few more? Every time I say this, people get mad. When we turn to follow or pursue anything other than Jesus Christ, it's empty. People get mad. Well, wait a minute, man. I'm pursuing my this. That's fine. As long as God is the priority. And you realize that all that stuff is chaff. It's wood, hay, and stubble eventually. But no, but there's good things that come of it. Well, not really. If it's not eternal, what's good about it? Amen? Amen. Now, again, we're to go, go do our job as unto the Lord, aren't we? While we're at work, best workers in the building. But really, why? Ultimately, that we might represent Christ. That people might see Jesus in us. That we might be able to draw people unto the Lord. You know, if you're the best businessman in the world, but you never share the gospel once, it's been empty, vain, and worthless. But, if you're, and please, you know, if you're digging ditches for Jesus, mopping floors for Jesus, flipping burgers for Jesus, whatever, but you're doing it in a way to honor God and people see it and you're able to point people to Christ, that's profitable. And we need to understand and get that eternal perspective and get our eyes off of what the world values as success and understand what God says success is. Last few verses. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake because it has pleased the Lord to make you His people. Now, he's saying this to Israel, but you know what? We are not... The Christians are not the new Israel. Let's make that really clear. Okay, Israel is still Israel, and we are the church. Amen. Oh, the church is Israel. No, it's not. Israel is Israel. That's how the Bible works. If it says it, that's it. Okay, but we're his children now. Amen. And you know what? He loves his children. Just as he loves his people, he's saying, you know, he will not forsake you, you're his kids. You know what, you repent, you turn to him, he's going to love you. How much does an earthly father love his kids? How much will an earthly father forgive his children? And he is an earthly father who makes mistakes. How much more will a perfect heavenly father forgive his kids? He loves us. And you know what, I love this part. It blows me away, it pleases him to call us his kids. Thank you, Lord. Because I don't deserve that. How about you? But it pleases him that I'm his son. It pleases him that you're his son or daughter. Verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I... Now, I want you to pay attention. I know the hour's late, but pay attention to this. That I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. What? Samuel says it is sin not to pray. You don't pray, you're in sin. That's what Samuel says. He says, let me read that again. For me, that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Notice that this man has two priorities. The first one is prayer. First lesson for us is don't stop praying. Can I encourage you with something too? I believe this absolutely to the depths of my soul. I believe that when I pray for people, it makes me love them more. I I can't even tell. When I go through the directory and I pray for you guys every week... You wonder why I come up and hug on you. I've been praying for you. And God's given me a deeper love for you guys. And you know what else it does? It not only makes the people you love, love, you love them more. It can take the people you don't like and make you love them. Amen? So start praying for the people that really get on your nerves. Pray for Jack Ferguson. From Sunday, remember? That said a slaughtered pig is as good as Jesus dying on the cross. Remember that guy from the paper? You know what? Let's pray for that guy. Because he makes me mad and i want to love him amen, amen. so i'm just gonna keep praying for him till god changes my heart because god's gonna to have to do it amen so pray not only for those you love but those that you need to love pray without ceasing because you know what when we don't pray it says here for samuel it would be sin but not only does he pray but look what it says but i will teach you the good and right way these are two great examples for a man or a woman of god pray and teach pray without ceasing pray for people constantly pray for those you love and those you don't pray that god will give you a greater love for them and then teach well you might say i'm not a pastor no you're not but if you got kids you're a mom or you're a dad and god's called you to teach them the word of god amen and god's called all of us to rightly divide the word of truth to be able to share our faith to study to show ourselves approved at least be able to open up our mouth and and share with the person sitting next to us the hope that lies within us amen So these are great examples. For me, I love this, you know, pray and teach. like, amen. You know, it's interesting, in Acts chapter 6, the apostles said this, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. They said, let others wait tables and we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart For consider the great things he has done for you. Guys, everything we do, we should be doing in light of what Christ did for us. Guys, when you worship, if you're thinking and remembering what Christ has done for you, you will worship with greater passion. When you pray, if you pray mindful of what Christ has done for you, your prayer life will be different. If you share your faith in light of what Christ has done for you, you will share your faith with greater boldness. If you go to work and do your job in light of what Christ has done for you, you will do your job in a better way. If you love your wife in light of what Christ has done for you, if you minister to your kids, if every, any ministry you're doing, do it in light of what Christ has done for you. Guys, we should never, ever, ever take for granted what the Lord has done. May we serve, love, love, pray worship all in response to the sacrificial grace love and mercy that he has showed toward us last verse but if we still do wickedly but if you still do wickedly you shall be swept away both you and your king you know what they're going to ignore this divine warning unfortunately and though here's an opportunity to get right with god they're going to choose not to do it they're going to heed it for a moment It's going to eventually lead to them being in captivity, both under the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And why does it happen? Because they make the choice yet again to turn and start serving the foreign gods of this world. If we deny God through our actions, we too will face sin's consequences. So, in closing, it is not too late to get right with God. Amen? Amen. Amen. No matter where you are with the Lord tonight, you can get right with Him. No matter how far away you've gone, no matter what rebellion you've been in, no matter what hidden sin you're hiding from everybody else, God knows it, He sees it, and you know what? He wants to forgive you for it and restore you from it. So tonight when we're done, the pastors will be up here. You come forward and ask for prayer. The Lord already knows. Let's bring it before His throne. So the things that we see, a call to stop trusting in the world to put our faith in God. Number one, personal integrity gives us an opportunity to share the truth with others. You know, if we want to let others know it's not too late for them, we need to live a life that would reflect Christ so we can tell them and they'll hear us. Amen? Number two, knowing God's Word serves to remind us of His faithfulness. Guys, I can't tell you how much the Word of God is, can be a comfort to our souls. You know, if you open up the Word of God every morning, it's amazing how it applies to your life that day. It's amazing how, you know what, if I could, and I said this and, and I meant it, if I can memorize any book in the Bible, it would be Proverbs. Because it's amazing. It is amazing how much wisdom. Now, the whole Bible rocks, and we should memorize as much of all of it as we can, but man, if I could have one memorized, can you imagine how that would impact your walk? Number three, we're not to follow the world's example, We're to lead, which leads to rebellion against God. Number four, we're to respond to the voice of the Lord. Respond in obedience, not in rebellion. Number five, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not too late to get right with God, and the fear of the Lord is a good place to be. And then lastly, we need to recognize our sin, because it truly is the first step towards repentance. You know what? I have such a burden, especially all the time, but especially this week. Can I encourage you? There are people that would come to church on Sunday if somebody would ask them. They might just be religious. They might not truly know God. They may have fallen away from the Lord. But you know what? Let's be available. Let's be praying. Let's be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit when He brings those divine appointments. And let's just reach out to people in love and invite them. Amen. And then on Sunday, can I encourage you to look for new people and make them feel welcome? Amen. Can I encourage you to look for the new folks and, and, and let them know how much they're loved, how glad that we are? Not anything phony. Be honest. Can I encourage you to pray for the people who are coming on Sunday who have never been here before? Start praying for them tonight. And why, And pray that God would soften hearts and open eyes and minister to people. Some of them will be saved and just not been in fellowship a long time. And just pray that God will just reignite a passion in them. And then pray that God will show you how he wants to use you on Sunday when those folks get here. How can you minister to them? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your love and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that it's not too late to get right with you. And Father, I pray if there's anybody here tonight that's been in rebellion against you, even maybe nobody else knows it, but you. Lord, I pray that tonight they'd make things right with you. Father, I pray for us, Lord, give us a greater passion for the lost. Help us to see the world through your eyes. Help us, Lord, to live lives in such a way that we would not be viewed by the world as hypocrites, but Lord, they would see you in us, in the way that we love people, in the way that we work hard, in the way that we honor you in everything that we do. And so, Father, we do pray for this county. Soften hearts, open eyes. We pray that you draw people here on Sunday. We pray for divine appointments, Lord, not just here, but in every church in this county where your word is taught. We pray that your kingdom would be added to you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We cannot wait to see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.